It's time for Blessed to Play on EWTN Radio, uncovering the role that faith plays in the lives of sports professionals from around the country. And now, here's your host, Ron Meyer. Fire score! My guest today is Kevin Wells. He's a former Major League Baseball writer for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he's the current president of the Monsignor Thomas Wells Society which is dedicated to the promotion of strong priests and seminarians and to the practice of the fullness of the Catholic faith. We'll talk to Kevin about being a Major League Baseball beat writer and also his book, new book, The Priest and the Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. But uh, sliding into the B2P discussion is Kevin Wells. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Ron, it's so good to be on your show. Well, before we get into this work, which is super interesting, I, uh, it is a sports show, so we, I, you know, it, it piqued my curiosity about your past job as a beat writer for the Tampa Bay Rays. And you were in Tampa Bay early on in the life of the Rays, uh, four years there. Uh, the team had a lot of growing pains. They played in a unique venue of sorts. But tell us how you got started, first of all, in Major League Baseball as a writer. Well, Ron, I, you know, it was sort of the life of Riley. I, I am from a big Catholic family, and all, all my brothers, there's six of us, we all played we all played high school baseball, and we all had dreams of being Major League Baseball players, And but I also like to write. So it was really always sort of a, a goal of mine to, to, to marry the two. So I um, was a journalism major in college, and and, uh, and uh, I, I really kind of I, I kind of cut the cord in, on my life in Maryland and moved down to Florida for a, for a small daily newspaper, and, and uh, I called the Tampa Tribune editor. And um, right after they had been awarded a franchise in 95, Major League Baseball awarded them a franchise. And I said, I, I'd like to try and, you know, become your first beat writer. And I, and I worked for it. And all of a sudden, three or four years later, I was, I was covering opening day for the Rays. So uh, it just it just kind of worked out. It worked in a good way for me, I guess. Yeah, you were on your way for sure. In fact, you were the first beat writer for the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, I think they were called the Devil Rays, actually, at that time. But... When you were covering this team and they're going through, as I mentioned, the growing pains, did you give them some slack, Kevin? What was your writing like, uh, a team that could not perform well on the diamond? Well, as you know, Ron, no one expected much out of them. They had aging veterans on their team, Wade Boggs, third base, Fred McGriff at first, Davey Martinez, Paul Sorrento. And they, it just was sort of a hodgepodge of young guys and old guys, and it didn't work for several years. It was tough, though, because even even with low expectations, you know, when you're losing seven, eight, nine in a row, <laughs> players don't often uh, they're not in the mood to speak to the beat writer after the game on the road. <laughs> so, so you just kind of gritted your teeth and, and did your best, and you form friendships with the, with the other beat writers, and actually with some of the players too. Um, yes, you, you just you just you kind of understand that it's going to be a process, and it was. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned forming uh, friendships, and I've had the pleasure of being in a lot of uh, Major League Baseball locker rooms and covering some big events. And it's always that fine line because you you you're build up this relationship, but then you have to be critical of them on certain occasions when you're writing about them. So how was that dynamic for you, and it, did, did it foster any conflict between you and the players? You know, I, Ron, I, I felt that it, as long as I was honest, it would work. One example I remember, John Flaherty, 
uh, he was an all-star with the San Diego Padres, and he came over to the to the Rays as their catcher. He was a starting catcher, and he was he was in a hellacious slump. His batting average in in June, I think, was 180 or something, and he was expected to be a 300 hitter, and he and he, and he just was performing miserably. And I and I said I said John, you know, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna write a piece on on this on this slump they're having, and um, I said, do you want to talk about it? And he said, you know, I. Yeah, we need to talk about. It. I, I'm 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 ashamed of my performance, and so I, I just I just think the more honesty, the better. And I remember Wade Boggs one time, um, I I come up to him after he went on the disabled list, and I said, Hey, Wade, you know, is there any element of age to this? I think he had a he had a poll somewhere, and he went on the 15 day DL, and he blew up at me. He just said, How you, you have no idea how you know, how much I prepare and, and um, you know, train to, to stay in good shape. And, you know, it was one of those where in front of four or five other beat writers. And, and I'll give him credit because the next day in the clubhouse, what you do is you always go up to the player you had a hard time with. Right. And he shook my hand and said, Kevin, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, I, I should have kept it private with you. I, I, I'm obviously frustrated with my injury. So, so um, I, I just think, I guess back then, the more honesty, the more candor, the better it was for, for me and I guess any beat writer. Blessed to play Ron Meyer chatting today with Kevin Wells. He was a former Major League Baseball beat writer for the Tampa Tribune. And we're going to talk about his new book on the second half of the show, which is an interesting work, The Priest and the Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Well, let's talk about um, how you guys get information, Kevin, and, and I think the listeners want to know about this, how you know about trades that are coming up before anybody else gets them. The beat writers know before usually anybody else, but how do you get these tips? Who uh, Who's the tipster? <laughs> well, covering baseball is a soap opera. It really is. It, it, it's every single day. Um, so you need to be in the clubhouse at 3.30 for a 7 o'clock game. So it's really just just um, talking to the players, talking to the GMs, the scouts. You you mean you you'll you'll talk to whoever you can, and maybe that seventh or eighth person you talk to that day, they'll say something, you know, just sort of haphazardly, and and all of a sudden it becomes a story. So it's just throwing yourself out there and establishing as many sources as you can, and really it, it all comes down to trust. So if they know that they can trust you as a writer, and I and, and I trust them as a source, and if it's off the record or no attribution, and they trust I won't, def, you know, ruin that relationship, then they're going to give me news. So it it's just kind of sticking your nose in there and just getting whatever you can. Because for some reason with baseball, people like the smallest element of news. I don't care if it's single A ball mm-hmm. or or maybe uh, you know a, a third string catcher's coming up to the major league camp. People people want to be fed those those bits of news. And it's one thing to have a relationship with the players, but there's also a relationship that you have to form with the front office. And they uh, they hold you in high regard in the sense they could use you for whatever they want to leak out, or they might not like you when you're criticizing the team. But talk about that relationship with the front office of the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, the general manager back then was, was a man named Chuck Lamar. He came over from the Braves. He, he was known for bringing in Greg Maddox for the Cubs. He was, he was really sort of uh, seen as a just a shrewd, um, oh, I don't know, evaluator of talent. And, and, and to be candid, it, it, it really wasn't working with the Rays. His, his first big free agent signing was a pitcher, a left-hander called, uh, his name was Wilson Alvarez. I think it was a five-year contract for $35 million. Back then, that was big, and he was a bust. 
and that was his first and 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 you had to write about it because if you if you mm-hmm. didn't write about it then then you weren't doing your job as a writer so so yeah there was there was some um uh some indelicate moments but also I think at the heart, whether it's the owner or the GM or the manager, um, they know, they know instinctually, they know what, what the beat writer is going to write about eventually. You can only hide a bad signing for so long, and then the beat writer's got to sort of expose it. But also, when, when things are going well, and, and Chuck Lamar, the GM, makes some good acquisitions, then, and then obviously you write about that too. So it's a give and take. So let's talk about some of the, uh, the, the neat games you got to cover, maybe some... Uh, I don't know, some milestones for an individual player. Does there anything stick out during your writing career that was most special for you? Oh, yeah, a lot. Um, I've covered Cal Ripken's final game. I covered the 98 Yankees uh, postseason run where they, where they had, I think they had the greatest, tied for the greatest single season record of all time. I covered the World Series in the, in the, in the playoffs. Um, I, uh, I covered, I don't know if you remember this game, Game 7 in 97 World Series when the Indians played Miami and it was an extra inning game and, and, uh, it was, it was a, um, it, it, yeah, so there's, there's those postseason games, especially in Yankee Stadium where it's just, it, it's just, it's just a, it's a jungle. I mean, it's the noisiest place in the world and you feel, you truly do feel the electricity of, of New Yorkers when Derek Jeter gets a hit to, to knock in Chili Davis or knock in Paul O'Neill for the winning run and, and um, it, it's just a charged emotional feeling. It's just like it was with Cal Ripken in his last game. I, I'll always remember, you'll appreciate this, Ron. Um, I watched, I sat in front of the locker. Sounds kind of silly, but I watched Cal Ripken dress for the last time. Mm-hmm. And you just saw his his nostalgia, his emotions, his sort of, um, I don't know how you want to put it. Just He said, after 21 years, this is the last time I'll put an Orioles uniform on. And, and I wrote about that. So. So yeah, there's 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 many 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 uh, memories from big games. Yeah, amazing stuff, amazing memories, and that streak will not be broken. I'm going on record, and I'll probably be dead by the time it is. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a break. On the other side, we'll find out if Washington D.C. will get its first canonized saint and Father Aloysius Schwartz. Talk more with the author Kevin Wells. He's our guest when Blessed to Play returns after this. There's a certain kind of prayer people are often afraid to say. Those really honest prayers. The prayer of St. Augustine when he prayed, Lord, help me be pure, but not yet. The prayer of Job when he was complaining, God, why did this happen to me? The prayer of Mary when Lazarus died. If you had been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? The prayers I find myself saying sometimes in difficult moments in life when I'm at the end of my rope. Lord, I can't do this. You gotta kick in here. I think people refrain from those prayers because we think they're unholy, or maybe God can't take it. Or maybe we think we're faking him out by pretending we have it all together and everything's great and we're as pious as can be. Listen, be honest with God. You can't hide yourself from him. He wants honest prayers because he doesn't just want your words, he wants your heart. And when you pray with all your heart, the answer you might get might not be a change in your circumstances, but I guarantee you, it'll change you. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. Look at the, the little flower. I am not the little flower. You know, I'm Italian. She was French. 
She was meek. I'm hot-tempered. She was very lovey-dovey. To me, you know, let's get on with this show. You got something to do? Do it. You know, I look at the Lord sometimes in the best sacrament. I say, Lord, I wish I could think of all the things the saints thought of. You know, they always tell you gushy. St. Gertrude and St. Uh, McShield. You know, is there an, a place up there, Lord, for just ordinary people? You know? People that get out up in the morning kind of grouchy and go to bed the same way, you know? I mean, there has to be a lot of those kind of people up there. You know? For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. No one does Catholic radio the world over. Women made new. The Bear Wozniak Adventure. Like EWTN. Welcome back to Blessed to Play. Ron Meyer joined today by Kevin Wells. If you listen to the first half of this show... He was a Major League Baseball beat writer, in fact, the first beat writer for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time. And he's also an author, and he has a really interesting and incredible book on the life of a dynamic man, a heroic priest. Uh, He's venerable, Father Aloysius Schwartz, and Kevin wrote a book called The Priest and and Beggar. Kevin, uh, you know, what was the passion behind, first of all, writing this book, and why were you so captivated by this figure, Father Al, as he's affectionately known? In 2019, I had written a book called The Priest We Need to Save the Church, and it really got out there a good bit, um, all over the world, really. And um, in, in preparation for writing that book, I had read the lives of the titans of the church, the paragons, you know, John Vianney, Bosco, Neri. Damon the Leper, John Paul, and and after the book came out, a married couple came up to me and they said, we know who the priest we need to save the church is. His name is Aloysius Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And they gave me some reading material, and I said, my goodness, what I've just read about this man, I've, I didn't read in any of these other biographies of the greatest precincts of all time. And so I called up Ignatius Press, and I said, hey, man, I, I, I want you to consider writing this man's biography, and I told them about this this priest, and they said, yeah, do it. So um, what he did, I, I contend that what he did for the humiliated, the orphan, and the poor perhaps had never been done in the history of the church. He, he was just a superhero for the humiliated. Now, on the streets of Washington, D.C., this was during the Great uh, Depression, you turned into the little commando, but he knew early on that at least he was going to consider a vocation. I think he entered the seminary at 14 years of age. So uh, give me some background on him. What led him to this uh, devout spiritual life at such a young age? He was extraordinarily uncommon. Uh, at the age of eight, as you said, Ron, he used to read this comic book called The Little Commandos. It was these four orphan boys that would go into Hitlerville and Naziville and, and, and take on the bad guys. And, and uh, he wondered back then, growing up in a family of poverty on the wrong side of the tracks, where God's face seemed to turn away from the family. He said, you know... Um, I wonder, I wonder if a priest can save in the same way as these comic book heroes. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know about you. When I, when I was wanting to be a major league baseball player as an eight-year-old, I realized by the time I was 18 that it just wasn't going to happen. My talent dimmed. But 
with Al, with Al Aloysius at age eight and this dream he had, it just expanded and it grew and it grew and it grew. And 30 years later, he, he is a superhero in post-war Korea. Well, let's talk about that. He, at 27 years old, he decided to go to Korea in wake of the Korean War. And this was a, uh, you know, a, a Korea at the time was pretty much decimated. Uh, certainly the country was reeling because of the war. And he goes into ground zero, so to speak. Why did he pick to go to Korea? And tell us about what happened when he got there. He asked his rector, he raised his hand and said, I, I want to go. I want to go to an abandoned, a, a, a rotten place, a bad place to serve the poor. And, and, and the rector said, well, the Korean War just ended. And he said, okay, well, that's where I want to go. And he got off a train in 1957, I think it was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and he saw a dystopian novel. He saw orphans in the street just left to die. He saw, get this, he saw gangs of lepers mm-hmm. rubbing their diseased limbs off people to steal their money. Um, the tubercular living up on mountain signs, just being ignored to die. And, and one by one, he said, you know, Mary, he consecrated his priesthood to Mary. He said, Mary, I, I'm going to try and put them on my back and, and just leave them to your son because they have dignity. They have, they have worthy and they're worthy of, of, of your son. And, and he just, he just began to build. Um, he, he was, he was the good Samaritan that never stopped. Now, we're going to talk about some of his great works, but before we get into that, I mean, this could be seen as a romantic story, and he had this beautiful vocation at a young age, and everything just fell into place. But Father Al had a vocation crisis, didn't he? He had a crisis of faith. Tell us more about that. Well, well, Father Al was attacked wherever he went. Saints often are. Um, his, well, I'll, just, I'll just make it broad. His seminary rector, American bishops, his own bishop in Korea, a, a mafia kingpin, those gangs of lepers all tried to take him out because <laughs> saints are attacked. And because he had become, as he puts, as he put it in his journals, a slave of Mary, um, he knew that he was protected by her mantle. So no matter who came at him, he just walked through their midst. Because Mary put in his heart, go to the abandoned, go to the poorest of the poor. And he knew he had a task that Mary stuck as an icon, you know, really in his heart. So he just kept going. Nothing could, nobody could stop him. Even the Cosa Nostra, they couldn't take him out. And Father Al went on. And I want to talk about some of his great works. He founded two religious orders, as well as built many homes and schools for orphans around the world, known as Boys Town and Girls Town. And I know this is a, a great work that went on uh, in the United States, especially for those uh, underprivileged kids who had nowhere else to go. But talk about his work with Boys Town and Girls Town. Well, that's the greatest story. Um, the, what's going on today, uh, in 2021, there are over 20,000 children today in 15 different Catholic Boys Towns and Girls Towns throughout the world because of this order of sisters that Father Al founded in Korea, the Sisters of Mary. There's over 400 sisters who care for these 20,000 children. And I, I believe, Ron, I, I genuinely believe that it's a, I don't know anything more powerful than what they do. They go up into the most dangerous towns throughout the world. Just for instance, in Mexico, they'll go to in the villages where there's human trafficking, MS-13, drug trafficking, and two by two, these sisters walk up into these into these hell holes, and they'll look for the most vulnerable children to be sold into slavery or whatever, 
Mm. And they'll bring them down into these humble kingdoms of resurrection, these girls' towns and boys' towns. There's, there's on average, about 3,000 children each in each of these boys' towns and girls' towns. And, and they bring them in almost like Lazarus raised from the tomb, and they heal them. And they bring them in, they catechize them, they care for them, they pray with them, they teach them, they feed them, nourish them. And then five years later, these kids are 18, 19 years old, and they go into universities, they go into workplaces, they go back to their old villages as catechized lights. They're, they're, they've been saved so they know Christ. And, and I, think, I think in a certain way they're saving the Catholic Church mm-hmm. because it's authentic Catholicism. Um, and, and what's better than an 18, 19-year-old kid who loves his Catholic or her Catholic faith. Yeah, it's definitely faith in action, and they went through so much adversity, and now, as you say, they have seen the light, and they're shining it to others. And uh, obviously, Father Al uh, had a large part to do with that. Now, I want to talk about his cause right now. As I mentioned before, he's venerable, and his cause for canonization is currently underway. Why don't you tell, give us an update on that? And uh, for people listening who may not know how that process works, maybe you could update us on that as well. Sure. Well, it's pretty easy. In, in, um, so in 2015, Pope Francis declared him venerable. So he's on the path to canonization, which is very, very, very big news, very unique for an American. Um, Father Al prayed not to be known. He was so busy uh, building hospitals, hospices, orphanages, um, elementary schools in the slums. He just didn't want to be known. So, so really, this, this biography has been written, Priest and Beggar, and the hope is, is that people will begin to ask for his intercession because, Ron, all he needs is a miracle or two to become a saint. The Holy Spirit determines canonizations, but I don't know anybody more worthy of sainthood than what Father Aloysius Schwartz did because what he did outside the finger of God, it, it cannot be done. Over 170,000 children have gone through these boys' towns and girls' towns and have graduated and, and, now, and now they're orchestral musicians, they're professional athletes, they're engineers, architects, they're, they're mechanics, teachers, priests, nuns. He, what, what Father Al began to do in 1957 still goes on today, and right now it's stronger than ever. Blessed to play Ron Meyer chatting once again with Kevin Wells, is the author of the book, The Priest and Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Father Aloysius Schwartz. We're talking about his great work and uh, about his cause for canonization. Many miracles have taken place with him, many changed lives. But let's talk about his legacy a little bit beyond what you mentioned about the sisters going in and and bringing his spirit to them and just uh, giving them light. What do you think that Father Aloysius would want of not only priests, but Catholic Christians if they were going through the turmoil that we are going through today? Great question. I, it's always hard to dig up the grave and crawl into someone's mind, but, but I would think, knowing Father Al, who lived in a shack, a condemned shack for five years, because he knew to serve the poor, he had to become poor. And when he became sanctified, sort of by his reading of the saints and an ascetical life and, and uh, just, just an intense prayer life, he amputated all measures of comfort. Um, he annihilated sort of his self-will. So I think if Father Al was around today, and, and Ron, it's time for candor in American Catholicism, I think he'd say, shame on you, clergy. Uh, you do not need to live in this type of chancery or this type of rectory. Your comfort is blunting your mission. The, the burden of your identity is to be like Christ, 
the starved man, you know, Christ, the poor man of Nazareth, you know, um, <laughs> shave off these measures of comfort and serve. You know, you, the, the laity suffer now because they, they oftentimes do not see a shepherd willing to lead them to heaven. That's, all, that's what Father Al did for 35 years until he died of ALS. He cut off every bit of comfort to serve. So, so that's, that's what I believe he would say today, just with all the research I've done on his life. And Kevin, I, I would think that by writing this book, you're helping to promote his cause for canonization, getting out, you know, the great deeds that he did, get into his life, uh, his struggles, and make him real, and uh, people could relate to him uh, as just a human being, if not a great priest. Yeah, he 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 became the superhero he always wanted to be. And and Ron, you know, as a sports writer, um, I was once I was once told by an editor, the the secret to sort of uh, keep the reader reading is just make it readable, keep them flipping the pages. So so I wrote I wrote the biography as a sports writer does. So so you get to know Father Allen in a very intimate way, his struggles, his joys, his pains, the attacks that he went through. So. You really come out of the book knowing um, everything about that there is to know about this man who did not want to be known. So um, that was that was my goal. Yeah, well, this book is definitely going to make him more well known. It's uh, "Priest and Beggar: The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz." Ignatius Press is the publisher. And uh, Kevin, if our listeners want to get a hold of this book, and I'm inviting you, and please go out and buy and learn more about. Uh, Aloysius Schwartz, uh, what a great man and a, a selfless man. Where could they go to uh, get a copy? Well, I would, I would encourage them, uh, number one, really, to, to look into the Sisters of Mary today, first of all, because that's, that's the story of everything, and that's on worldvillages.org. They'll begin to understand the inco- incomprehensible life of Father and the Sisters. And, and there's a website called The Priest, or Priest and Beggar, priestandbeggar.com, or just go to Ignatius.com, and, and, and I always like to say go to your local Catholic bookstore. Very good. Our guest today has been Kevin Wells. And, uh, Kevin, I enjoyed talking a little bit baseball with you and your life as a Major League Baseball writer. But uh, more importantly, uh, something that can transform our world, our society, by looking into the life and witness of faith of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Thank you so much for telling us more about the priest and beggar. And thank you for joining us here on Blessed to Play. Thanks, Ron. This is great. Hey, Blessed to Play fans, check us out on the web at www.blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed, the number two, play.com. You can like us on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter at Blessed to Play. For Kevin Wells, I'm Ron Meyer. We'll catch you next time right here on Blessed to Play. You've been listening to Blessed to Play with host Ron Meyer on the EWTN Global Catholic Network. If you have a question or comment about today's show, feel free to email us at info at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed, the number two, play.com. You can also connect with the show on the web at www.blessedtoplay.com. Again, that's blessed, the number two, play.com. Join us again next time for Blessed to Play on the EWTN Global Catholic Network.